LDB, 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 LDB. Good evening, LDB. I am Chris Schultzer. You might have heard that this meeting is being recorded. Uh, and that is true. It is being recorded. I'm joined as always by Mr. Michael Becker. Michael, how are you doing? Doing great. What's up, fellas? I think I'm, I'm good. Everything good with you? All good. All yeah. good. Uh, in a moment, I'll get into my, my big conundrum about whether I end my vacation early or not. But before we do that, we have the return of Sean Crean. Sean, you've been missing from us. We've, we've missed you deeply. How are you? Hey guys, I, I'm good. It's it's good to see you. It's good to to hear your voices. Um, and yeah, I've I've missed a lot of awesome episodes. I uh, I'm very sad to have missed. Yeah, everyone, VJ, uh, old pal, telling some war stories. Uh, Brophy and Anton. I really like the dad talk. Um, I had to to say I, I co-signed Brophy's take on Disney. I don't know. I, I wish I had been there. I had a lot of bad dad jokes to make, but. Um, yeah, and then Dubner and Jorby recently. I think I might even be missing one other guest in that period, or maybe it was just you all rambling. But uh, yeah, glad to be back. Sorry, <laughs> sorry I couldn't uh, couldn't join earlier. You've managed to cover about uh, five weeks and forty five seconds. <laughs> <laughs> there, there was there was a lot there. I I don't know. Uh, Jorvi had a lot of a uh, lot of good stories. I feel like you didn't talk much baseball, but uh, but that was a good one. That was fun. <laughs> I really did enjoy having Jarvie on. I feel like, you know, again, going back to like the original goal of this, getting to know everybody, I feel like I know Jarvie way better now than I did before. Um, and also like just from an emotional standpoint, I appreciated his talk about understanding team complexion and, and sticking with his guys. Cause I think we all suffer from that. So it was a good episode, but, but you got more dirt on him, right? I mean, you could have, you could have really nailed him. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think Becker is right. Jorvi is probably the coolest guy in the league in some sense. <laughs> I I don't know though. The more you get to know someone, the harder it is to to like maintain that aura of coolness, right? So for me, like I don't know. I would say like Jeff Peterson to me is the coolest guy in the league because I don't know him as well, but like he has awesome taste in music and it's that. But yeah, um, yeah, Jorvi's Jorvi is a funny guy. Um, I don't know where would I have nailed him. I mean, I was. <sighs> You know, a couple of weeks ago, Becker said that he thought the win still had a shot. And, uh, you know, I don't think I really do, but Jorvi did just miss innings. And if I were to say Jorvi's kryptonite is definitely like maintaining focus on some of the tactical stuff, which look, it's so fatiguing to play fantasy baseball for God, what, five months. And even if your team is doing okay. So I would, I, I think I might've ragged him a little bit on that and asked him if he was, if he was fearful of, uh, of the win, but, uh, but no, awesome guy. It was fun to, 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 to hear him talk about his recent life. Honestly, like the only way that Jorvi and I keep in touch now is, is fantasy baseball. So one of many reasons I'm grateful for LDB. Well, you are not a guest, you're a host, but I did think after a lengthy absence, it was, it was important that we find out a little bit of where you've been. So like you've been all over the country. Yeah. Are you back in, in California now? I, I am in my in-laws attic in Brighton, Massachusetts. I had to turn off the air conditioning, although it's very hot, uh, just so you could all hear the audio. Okay. I just came back from the Catskills. Um, I've never really been there. Beautiful house on the lake uh, with some family going to Cape Cod next week. I think Chris, we're going to pass the ships in the night, as you said earlier. Actually, Chris and I caught up briefly during uh, 
I was I was catching up with VJ and um, we were walking along the water in Boston and, and Chris called him about a trade talk. And it very well may have been the <laughs> Becker Schutzer trade that was discussed, I think, in the last episode. Uh, but I think Chris and I briefly had a little little catch up on on trades and uh, and Boston travel plans. But uh, yeah, mostly just northeast. And uh, yeah, sorry, I, I, you know, as we've discussed offline, it's just hard to find time as a as a dad of young kids on the West Coast. These time zones are tough. And if we could do it eight or nine my time, that would be that would be keeping you all up too late. But uh, but yeah, I haven't been anything anywhere too exciting. But uh, but basically, I think everyone has just been enjoying. Well, what doesn't look like it's going to be lasting much longer, but the return from from COVID, um, and so it's been harder for all of us to pin each other down, right? So, just been traveling, catching up with friends and family. Cool. Sounds like it's been a good, enjoyable time. Have you been working like from like remotely, remotely? Uh, yeah, I have. It's interesting working with a West Coast team from the East Coast. I actually really enjoy the quiet time in the morning, and then it sort of drags into the evening where you're like hopefully like not too booked with meetings later in the day. But uh, yeah, I've been, I've been working on and off this whole time. Oh, I should know one other highlight from the travels is BJ and I went to Fenway for Red Sox Yankees a couple Ooh, of Fridays fun. ago, which, you know, at the time I was like, this is going to be a great, like coming back from COVID moment, like Fenway park, fully um, full, full, full crowd. By the way, Chris, you owe me $20. That was a bet early on the season. I, do, I have I do. to remind you of that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but it was also the day that the variant, uh, Delta variant, uh, I think scare really kind of fully formed in the mass, mass consciousness. So it was a little weird because I, I didn't quite feel as much of a COVID relief then, but, but it was fun for sure. Um, I don't think Red Sox Yankees will ever be the way it was when we were kids, but, uh, but definitely a fun game. And, um, I felt a little bad for VJ and the Yankees because judge and a, and a number of others were out due to, due to COVID. Uh, so it was like a skeleton crew, but always fun to be in Fenway. What a unique ballpark. I mean, can't say it enough it's just it's just so much fun to be there always a rite of passage for me coming home yeah um i you know the, the one other thing that came up in a cast that like i really did want to just get your take on is it, it, at least watching from afar as the league founded it felt like it was half harvard and half a bunch of guys that i didn't know um and i i was not one of the initial league members jeff asked me to join and i said respectfully no i had one league and i could only manage one league and uh i i stayed in sherman's league which was a big mistake should have joined this one instead um but you know now we've lost jack we've lost jeff uh vj is a, a co-owner um do you feel like uh the, the the harvard contingent is has whittled down like are, like are you the last man standing i mean I, I i don't really know that i'm asking a good question here but what happened yeah. with, with the harvard crew yeah it's a little sad i mean always 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 fun to have jack for those that that don't know jack he was one of our college roommates and probably i don't think he would say he was the best fantasy baseball player but he 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 was always good for a laugh and uh and you know it's always just good to have an excuse to catch up with one of your best friends um but yeah no it's sad that jack and jeff i mean honestly i don't think we properly uh toasted jeff as he left the league i, I did dedicate my ghost championship run to the the danger mice but i don't think we properly acknowledged Jeff is the godfather of the league. He brought us all together. And it was originally a bunch of Harvard friends. And then I think the other kind of obvious faction was UVA, but it was, I think, I don't think Anton went to UVA. I think he met some of the UVA crew and I'm probably leaving out some other folks, but it, early on it was UVA versus Harvard and the UVA guys uh, 
led by Starr and Brophy did a lot better than the Harvard guys. So that was a common joke um, back then. But um, yeah, I mean, ever since, uh, I don't know, like the last 10 years, it was the first five years or so, but I, I said in the last 10 years, it's really just kind of diversified in terms of um, lots of friends of Matt Starr, as you guys commented before. The, the spider, I guess, is the new nickname. But, um, but yeah, uh, you know, I, I, I definitely miss some, some of the old friends that left the league, but it's, it's been fun to meet a lot of new people, Becker uh, uh, foremost among them. So, um, and Jorvi, loved getting Jorvi into the league. Um, and uh, yeah, I, I don't really have any more of an answer for you than, than, than that. So who is left of the Harvard crew? For well, someone Dubner, who is, who is, is a Harvard guy. He was a year older than us. And then um, Mark, I don't know if he considers himself a Harvard guy. I think he went to Harvard Law School. Um, certainly a huge nerd. Not that you have to go to Harvard to be a huge nerd. But uh, I don't know if there's anyone else. I mean, just Chris, obviously. And then VJ on the periphery as advisor to Chris. Uh, as I learned during the, the phone call, Chris <laughs> does rely a lot on VJ. I sometimes, I sometimes don't appreciate how much VJ is still involved. So... I think uh, VJ and my uh, partnership, it's, it, it, I, I hope he's not offended by this. It's truly 90-10. Like I'm, I'm 90, I'm doing the vast majority of it. He would admit that I know a lot more names. I know I do a lot more research. When it comes to major directional choices, I sometimes get gun shy and he's much more confident than I am. When I called him uh, and I'll credit him with this, uh, on the Woodruff trade, I was like, I really don't know that this improves us enough to get, you know, give up a Patino. And I still don't feel like it maybe did, but then BJ's like, you got to go for it. Like, you know, this is, this is the chance to, to lock one down. We got to do it. So, you know, he's, he's got a lot more chutzpah when it comes to stuff like that. Um, and uh, again, the stats driven side of this versus like my uh, approach, which is a lot more name driven, story driven. I, Becker and I share this. Um, but anyway, uh, I do appreciate VJ. I, 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 I hope he gets his own team one day because I think he's really good at it. Uh, but I'll also be really sad when that happens because I appreciate the camaraderie. Um, Sean, let me ask you real quick though, since you are one of the originals, um, have you felt like the league has evolved like in recent years uh, in, a, in a way away from like the initial thing? Like, have we lost anything or have we gained anything? Is it better than ever? What do you think? I, I, I think you've, we've covered this in, in previous pods, but I mean, one thing I miss is we used to have more like ridiculous fake news stories, uh, but I think we also used to have a lot more free time. Um, we didn't have as many responsibilities at work or with kids, but I, I enjoyed that aspect. <clears throat> I, reading some of them today, I'm like, uh, you know, we weren't as funny as we thought we were, or maybe, <clears throat> maybe we said some things we probably shouldn't have, but uh, overall I thought we were very funny. And we remain funny, but it's not quite as elaborate. <clears throat> so that's that's one thing. That's more of a culture thing. Although, I mean, who's to, who's to deny? Like, we have so many threads on so many other topics that I think it's we probably still spend as much time on bullshitting. It's just not as organized in the in like a fake news way. Um, you know, you guys talked about it last time. Just the the super team phenomenon, it and it isn't quite the same. I think you know there has been some identification of loopholes in like the. McQueen penalties and like preseason trading um, that is, I think it's swung a little too far personally. Um, and, you know, I, I think we sort of concluded at a certain point over the last few years that maybe the strategy itself was, was not as 
as useful as um, as you might think it would be. So maybe we can just let it fly. But it's I think it's always worth asking ourselves like has it swung too far? Um, I generally don't love the huge teardowns fire sale approach, but I also think it's been really interesting to see how people have gotten creative. So I'd say that's one evolution. Um, you know, the relief pitcher heavy strategy that Becker's employed, I think that's kind of um, something that's new from a relatively recent span for LDB, but also something that people have done in the past. I mean, Chris, I know you you deployed it before. Um, but yeah, I think I think this everyone is definitely way smarter about baseball. When we started, I think the, the mats had a distinct advantage. Um, you know, Brophy, as, as was addressed in a recent pod, has such a deep knowledge of the player pool. Like for me, I feel like I have to like, I, I, I'm using proxies. Like I, I just don't have that depth, but I know how to find out quickly who's good, but I, I, I just don't have that depth. And he and Star, and you know, I think some of so some others in the league have that depth, but in general, we all know the sources now and we have good analytical techniques and it's just harder to, harder to find that, um, you know, that guy in the waiver wire or that preseason um, sleeper can. I mean, that that's true around fantasy baseball. They just don't exist to the same extent as when we started. Well, and now um, so. they're not, they, they, we, we pay for the sleeper, right? Um, I think that's really yes. what I've noticed is that like in, in, it was Trevor Rogers this year. He went for more than 10 million, I believe. I mean, like we're, we're it's not a $2 million player anymore. Um, the other discussion that you missed was the sticky stuff one. And I've been meaning to come back to it because I feel like MLB is sweeping it under the rug. Am I crazy for feeling that way? Do you guys share that? Like, it's just like, it's done now and, and we're going to move on. <laughs> like one guy gets suspended. It's in every newspaper and all of a sudden it's gone. Are they still checking? Are they checking belts and hats and all the rest? I honestly, don't I assume know. they are. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I think it's, I, I don't know if it's been swept under the rug. I think it's just the league has adapted. Right. I mean, presumably no one is using the spider tag because they know that they're going to get busted. And we've seen the data. I mean, certainly a number of guys have seen, you know, two or, or one standard deviation drop in, in spin rate, right. Whether the results are really as impacted, I think is going to take a little time still to study, but I was reading, um, I don't know if it was Al Mechior at, at Athletic or if it was Eno Saris. I always lose track of some of these pieces, but someone was just talking about um, the increase in home run rate. And it wasn't due to faster exit velocities, more bowel rate from the StatCast data. From what they could tell, it was just more contact. So just the stuff isn't quite as good and batters are, are, hit, are making contact more often. And as we know from the last few years, they've optimized their swings to hit home runs. And so the more contact you make, the more home runs you're gonna get, right? So that the macro data seems to bear that out as a change so far. Um, it's always hard to suss out though, because we're talking about June, July, which is you know, the warmer months when offense kicks, picks up anyway. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think from an MLB perspective, I'm sure they would love to, to have everyone just forget it ever happened and like kind of life goes on. The other big one that I've picked up in terms of stories, uh, like a follow-up on, on this topic is just, it seems pretty clear they need to come up with some um, approved sticky substance, whether they treat the balls. And, and sorry, you may have to cover this in the previous episode. By the way, Becker did a great job with the uh, the canned um, Garrett Cole impression uh, a few weeks ago. <laughs> what do you, what uh, do you mean? <laughs> the the cliff notes right what was it what was it is that what it was it? yeah um, but yeah i i think i think they need to work on that they it seems very reasonable that pitchers need something to improve their grip a little bit but that's 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 what i've noticed the last month chris 
I think it's been effective. Um, and I, I think it's effective as a two-part approach. So apparently in the off-season, and this, this has kind of been lost, but in the off-season, MLB sent a memo around to all teams saying, we are going to crack down on sticky stuff. No more sticky stuff. Now, how many people believed that? I, I'd say you know, very few. But then the second half, they came through with the, the actual, you know what, we mean it. So they sent the memo. Everyone was on notice that sticky stuff was going to be out. Then within the first uh, 10 weeks of the season, they actually sent another memo and said, we're checking. Uh, so I think between the first memo and the second memo, uh, it, it's out. I don't know whether that's good or bad. I agree with you, Sean, that there should be some sort of mechanism because there are enough pitchers actually complaining, not that they need an advantage, but that they need to actually grip baseballs and that new baseballs are otherwise just like pearls, right? Or cue balls that uh, otherwise have no tack and apparently are, are different than even minor league baseballs, um, independent league baseballs, high school baseballs. So if you're using a, a entirely new baseball as a major leaguer that you've never kind of felt or seems odd, that, that's a problem. And that's something hopefully that Major League Baseball can address without using it as a wedge issue in um, you know, negotiations or whatnot. But something has to be done. But the, the, the notion that you know, MLB cracked down you know, on day 50 of the season without any prior warning, I think is a little bit you know, too far, but um, yes, they got to do something, but I think it otherwise has been effective. Yeah. Um, Sean, I know you like you're, you're a pessimist on if we're going to lose games or not next year. And you think we are, yeah. To the a work stoppage. Yeah, I don't think I have any special information beyond what, what everyone else is reading. But um, yeah, for whatever reason, like I was recently, like it's partly I think because I just sold, right? And like, I'm not really think. I mean, you know, maybe, you know, some miracle will happen and I will catch up to Jorvi, but I don't think so. Um, but I just sold. So I'm thinking about next year and I'm just like, well, fuck, like, I'm not sure there is going to be next year. Or if there is one, we're going to have like months of the season lost and it's going to be like the COVID year, which is going to suck. So I don't mean to like throw everyone into a downer on that, but if I were to make, if I were to make a bet right now, I would say that's more likely to happen than not. And so that, so I think for me, I've been thinking ahead in that way, just because that's where my team is. Right. Uh, although Ian says that I should forget about next year anyway. So maybe I shouldn't even worry. Maybe I should just convince you all that the season's going to happen and then like make some strategy around that. So I can build for 2023, my God, 2023. Um, but you yeah, I, that's all. You just, you just uh, meatballed a segue to me and I, I have to switch. Uh, Go ahead. <laughs> well, no, I mean, I, you're talking future rankings, you know, you're talking about how Ian is, is thinking about your squad and other squads. And, and I, you know, we don't have Ian today. Um, Ian is going to join us next time. I think once he's finished with his uh, breaking down the contenders, I think he's got two teams to go. Um, I thought it'd be fun to look at what he came up with. Uh, I, I can't say I agree with everything he wrote, but he certainly did a very good deep dive um are you guys comfortable like looking at, at our sellers a little bit more uh just about like who's positioned best for the future who you're worried about um eta is on like when you actually think they'll they'll be good again kind of things i will say my caveat to this is every year there is at least one team and usually two that we discount 
because we believe that they're not ready from a double A standpoint. And then they just fucking nail the draft. Right. And they're right. playoff team. Right. Totally. Um, I mean, Sean, you've done it like 19 times and Becker, I think you, you, to a degree, I think you had us all sleeping on your team, but you did it this year. Um, and, uh, Nate, Nate, Nate's had some terrific keepers the last couple of years. Right. I mean, um, well, so I don't want to steal thunder if you want to have Ian back on, so we can maybe do it more broader brushstrokes to kind of what you're saying, but yeah, I, I, um, I actually, I was really, um, scared of Peterson's upcoming team um i i was a little i, I i'm sad that it didn't work for alfram this year um i thought maybe he might wait and see how it goes in the new midseason but he did what he did but in any event i really like his core and so that was my only like really high level reaction um kind of without stealing too much thunder from from ian if he comes on um as i you know i like peterson squad and the california winter is never easy but that's just going to make it even harder for for me and and uh and the Ichiro's, I won't put Brophy in that category because fucking Brophy, but um, but yeah, I think we may have just lost Chris for a sec. Are you there, Chris? Yeah, oh, he's back. Think. He's back. We're I, we're good. I, yeah, I, I'll go ahead. I'll, Brock, go ahead. I'll I'll chime in. I I mean I think it takes a lot of discipline to plan for the future, and um. Yeah, I, I think Ian has positioned himself really, really, really well. And yeah, I look forward to having Ian on. Um, but you need to you need to have a plan. And sometimes that plan is a multi-year plan. I know speaking from experience, that's that's kind of what I did. Now it was easier for me to have a multi-year plan knowing that for the first two years, I probably was not going to be very good. But you need to think about, okay, what what can I keep? what can I sell? How can I position myself? And I think um, probably shouldn't be three years, but I think within two years, it can be turned around very quickly. So if you're, if the question is, who am I scared of? It's certainly Ian. um, If not next year, then the year beyond that. So my take on this is, is we really do need to have a discussion about how we value double A names versus double A draft picks, right? Mm-hmm. Obviously you can't convert a pick without trading it um, into a now player, right? So you can't get the double A production. Like if I, if I promote Eloy Jimenez tomorrow as an example, like I'm gonna have stats that I don't have from the pick, but the pick provides some uncertainty that I think we, you know, Mark has proven you can create this army kind of thing. Um, and I, I, I think that the concept of like understanding someone's future value without the players actually being on roster right now is something that none of us really fully get, right? Um, and that's something I want to delve into. Like to me, I look, at, uh, I look at Ian's rankings and I think to myself, similar to you, Sean, like Peterson has like five birds in, the, in hand, right? I know he doesn't have as many birds in the bush right now, but he's got five birds in hand. And, and I'm using that, that old cliche on purpose here. I look at that versus I look at, you know, some of the other teams that, that he ranked. Um, and, and I just, yeah. So like, I know that he ranked Ray last, but, but he definitely gave Ray a lot of praise for going and getting Bobby Witt and, and, you know, some of these big names, Bobby Witt is, is I hope going to be great. Like I drafted him. I, I believe in him. He's never played a day in, in major league baseball yet. We don't know. Right. Um, so like to a degree, I think 
The point I'm trying to make is that the hype of the future, we might have it wrong as a league. I think, and I think that's actually one of the things that Star does best. Um, I agree. Is, is Star just, he always capitalizes on what's happening right now. He doesn't care what's going to happen three weeks from now. He's willing to sell that guy because he doesn't know for certain. So give him the sure thing for the value now. Um, so when I look at this, I like, I guess to me, the number one underrated team, um, it, it has to be the roof. Um, and I know like he, he rated the roof as the, the, the peak of these teams, but to me, like what Mark has done is astounding just because if you have a hundred darts, you're going to get some bullseyes. Um, so it is, it is astounding, but no, I, mean, I don't discount any of it. He also like fire sold for years. So I think that's also, you know, that's, that's years of not competing to be fair. He also made the playoffs and I think at least one of those years, which was awesome. Um, but uh, no, I mean, hats off to him. I mean, very, very, All right. so, so since you went there, like how long do you think a fire sale should take? If you want to, if you want to bottom out and rebound, or do you just look at it every year as a different year? Well, I think I think there's a case to be made that Mark didn't. I mean, not, not that he was aggressively fire stealing this year, but like, and, and Ian was trying to make the case that he could have tried to compete this year. But I think Mark's point was like, okay, well, I don't think it's my year, so why bother? Um, and there's a there's an argument there. I don't know if there's a right answer. I will just say philosophically, like I don't love this. Isn't just fantasy. This is MLB too. I don't love the like complete teardowns that the Astros did, that a bunch of other teams did after them. Um, just as a fan also like this may be coming from a perspective of actually frankly having become a spoiled sports fan in Boston but like I just enjoy the thrill of the hunt and having a team that's consistently in the hunt I mean winning a championship is amazing but I would rather have multiple shots where I'm kind of continuing to be in it every year than have like Boston boom cycle and that's just maybe a philosophical thing um so so i don't that doesn't quite answer your question but that's that's my approach to this um so yeah i don't know like so you fire sale for three years and then you compete for four to six that seems reasonable um but you're also you know those are three years that you're not you know you're just not in it so chris i i remember one of the first times i met you was in person was at the barbecue after our first draft or my first draft probably in 2018, maybe even 2019, but we were having a conversation uh, over some hamburgers and you said something about your team. You said, my, my window to win is like this year through 2023. And ha having never been in the league and not understanding what a window is and having just been doing redraft leagues my whole time, I was like, what the fuck is this guy talking about? like window window to win is this is this really where we're at um and i guess like while i admire that i also admire matt's strategy where there is there is no window it's it's really like i'm going to gun for it every single year and i think there's probably a happy medium between i know that i need to strike within this period versus I'm going for it every year. I'm not taking a year off. Um, I, I'll give you an example of why I think math strategy is effective. I cut Bobby Dahlbeck this year. I promoted Bobby Dahlbeck. He was a top 100 prospect, not in every list, but in some lists. Um, he was not producing. It, like He could have been an AL rookie of the year. He had a great year last year, but he was clogging a roster spot. And I realized like for $500,000, I don't want him. 
that was that was one of my guys. That was a double A guy. And if I had held on to Bobby Dahlbeck, maybe things would be different had I not promoted him. But also, if I had not promoted Bobby Dahlbeck, his value would have been zero or or less than zero. Right. So I think there's there's concern about some of these guys just like deadening on the vine. Um, it. I think Mark's value and, and Mark's real um, virtue is being able to cash all of those chips in for major league ready talent while a few of them hit. I, I think maybe a, a quarter to even less than that will hit for Mark. But if he can cash some of those guys in now for future value and, the re- and those guys turn into Bobby Dahlbeck, he's, he's won those deals. So that's, that's where I think Mark wins. Well, and, and, and you weren't in the league, I don't believe, at the time that Mark was our most aggressive buyer. That's true. Very yeah. first year he in came the, in the year before me. Yeah, he was. He saw a chance in the first year of the divisional splits, and he was, like, all about it. He went all the way in. Um, and so, like, I, I don't think – the way I see Mark, and I, I wish he was here so I could ask him, the way I see Mark is that – he devotes 100% of himself to the strategy, whether it's all in or all out. Love it. Um, and Love so it. I, I fully expect that we're going to see a, a, a turn at some point. I kind of think it's this offseason, but I could be wrong where he'll start aggressively trading guys that won't help him to whatever strategy he deems the best one. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you, you're, you're, you're talking to me, Becker, and I'm sorry, I'm not leaving you much room here because we're talking about Mark, but the, the guy I most want to talk to right now is Nate. And partially it's because I think all three of us have identified Nate as somebody who has found value in the draft. Yes. I want to know like what he's doing. Um, I also think that like Nate does a nice job uh, walking this tightrope. And I know he's only been in the league for a few years, but we haven't had him yet. I think it's time. Um, I'm looking at, at some of the prospects that he has, but also like the fact that he's able to sell contracts every year, like, what is he doing that he's, you know, I think he's able to then capitalize by having more money. It just feels like he's always rich. So um, there's a flywheel effect for sure. If you can have some really good keeper contracts and a surplus of them where you get that extra money and then that gives, I mean, this is what Brophy always does, but that gives you the ability to make some other interesting bets. And then you keep hitting and you just keep, you keep rolling that over into the next year. But uh, yeah, definitely would love to hear from Nate on that. Yeah. I will say a quick uh, promo for Mark, if he is thinking of pushing in chips finally for next year, maybe Raphael Devers will be available. So, you know, let's, let's talk, Mark. Mark is a Red Sox fan. so You missed the trade deadline team. talk by about two weeks. You know, this offseason, I'm, I'm, I'm looking ahead. Yeah, I, I always love it when huge offseason blockbusters happen in this league. It just makes me happy. Um, and Mark's not shy about that. So who knows? Maybe the two of you will hook up. Um, all right. Any other, any other teams that you wanted to talk about from Ian's rankings, just from the, the sellers? It was a tough, I mean, as, as a seller that didn't sell much, it was a, it was a strange market. It was not a, it was not the easiest year. I mean, I certainly had my own issues cause I had injured goods. Um, but yeah, it was a, it was certainly a weird, a weird year, uh, for trading. Um, lots of trades though, nonetheless, I want to ask you a question. I heard a number of people say that this was a buyer's market. Why was this buyer's market? 
You're asking me? Well, I'm asking Sean first, but you can. Oh, uh, yes. Him. Okay. I mean, I think, I, I, I don't know if I fully agree, but I mean, I mean, typically a buyer's bargain would just be when there's more sellers than, than really interested buyers. And I think, um, you know, Becker was, was playing pretty frugal star had made a, a number of moves in the preseason and earlier in the season. So maybe it wasn't quite as aggressive. Brophy was like, you know, playing bargain basement. Um, Dubner, I felt like for me was the only one that was willing to move a prospect that I was interested in for Bieber. Like you have plenty of chips, Chris, uh, but I wasn't going to get a guy like Spencer Torkelson <clears throat> who I was interested in. Um, you know, I, I think I got a poor man's Torkelson, but, um, but yeah, I think it was, yeah, it's just that there weren't a, the, 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 there weren't enough, um, there, there were more sellers, you know, chasing deals than, than there were buyers at, at the right price. So. I, I agree. I think there was a defined group of uh, folks that were primed to make the playoffs. And it, there was probably more clarity than there has been in past years. And all of us, I, I'd like to include my team. I think I'll make the playoffs, but we, we knew we had pretty solid teams. And, and so at least from my perspective, I knew I could be choosy and figure out who I wanted and be strategic about that. So while um, there were a lot of people selling really, really, really good players, I knew my guys, I knew what I needed. Uh, I also knew my prospects. I knew who I was willing to give up. And if someone was insistent on a certain prospect who I was unwilling to give up, I, I made clear that that, that deal wasn't going to work. And if, and if we weren't on another prospect or weren't talking about a pick, you know, let's, let's talk next year. But um, so it was kind of a, a, like a Rubik's cube that had, you know, a, a few very small paths to, to figuring it out, at least from my perspective. And I'd like to think that the rest of the league was similar. Do you know when you were a little kid and your mom told you to share and like you, you were like, fine, I'll share the toys that I don't really like as much. Like these Legos are fine. But, like Joey Bart. But if you want to come over here and play with my Torkelson, you're not, you're not going to play with right. it. Exactly. Like, right. Because uh, Torkelson is, is, you know, Torkelson's what I got for my birthday and yeah. I've been saving Torkelson and uh, I'm sorry. Torkelson is only for me. <laughs> That, that analogy just makes so much sense. Well, and I wish it didn't, but it does. It's so how I feel too. I was telling Star like a year and a half ago that like the way I found Torkelson, I have to tell you guys this, it was actually my brother. So uh, my brother's, all, he also plays fantasy baseball, but he has no league that is quite as intense as this one. And I was trying to like teach him the value of knowing the names the year in advance. And it really started because of Ryan Braun. Um, Ryan Braun came up one year and I was like, Jamie, Ryan Braun's a huge name. And then he was like, all right, I'm going to make sure I'm the one who gets Ryan Braun. So every year he asked me, who's this year's Ryan Braun? It's a very easy thing to know who Wander Franco is or who, you know, Vlad Guerrero is. And most of the time, the guy actually is not as good in the first year as we expect that they'll be long-term, but it's still good to know the name. Jamie found Torkelson, right? So it was like two years before Torkelson was actually even in the MLB draft. And he was like, there's a freshman at Arizona State University who just hit 30 homers. 
And I was like, yeah, who cares? And he was like, that's never happened before except Barry Bonds. And I was like, okay, I'm interested. <laughs> and that's how that happened. Um, so we were on Torkelson for like years before and, and that's why he's my, uh, he's my, my Lego Death Star that nobody gets to play with but me. And, but, but there is a non-zero chance that Spencer Torkelson doesn't really have a productive career such that the, the AA investment's worth it, right? I'll, I'll give you a, a, another good example of why Star's great. Um, you know, Star this offseason, we were just hypothetically thrown out deals. And he said, I may trade you Corbin Burns for Wander Franco. And when he said that, Wander Franco was the best prospect in baseball. And I thought, Matt, you're on crack. You, you were on crack. Um, and this is, this is Corbin Burns coming off of a good 2020 but also an atrocious 2019. And now, like, yeah, Wander Franco is going to be a good prospect. He was always the number one prospect in baseball. He will probably be a great player. But, like, yeah, Corbin Burns is actually doing the damn thing in Major League Baseball, and Wander Franco is still trying to figure it out. So um, it, if, if he had asked me that right now, I'd probably take Corbin Burns. Um, yeah, but, but Wander Franco is still in his package. He's in mint condition. <laughs> so, so that is that is true uh but it also runs the risk of me just like you know letting the bubble gum in the package go stale uh so it it's all it's all a matter of time it's all a matter of timing and making sure that you actually get value uh, on the guys that you covet including spencer torkelson and wonder franco and knowing when to redeem those guys in for, for dudes that are actually producing in Major League Baseball. And that's, that's what's really fun about this league. And I, I think a lot of guys, a lot of owners kind of, you know, do that right, get that balance right. And I'm still trying to learn that. I think we have to be careful because everybody's listening to this podcast. And I think if we talk about things as if that's the way it is now, it's, it's not great for the league. But I will state it this way. My observation is we've all swung to Brophy's side of this, that there are players that are, are above the worth of a rental. And that's actually, I think, what made it a buyer's market. I, think, I don't know what the line is. I thought Patino was right at it for me personally. I'll say that. I really wasn't sure if he was too good to be traded or not. But like a top 50 guy that's a bat first or an elite starting pitcher prospect that's in AAA right now, right? Like, are, are they too good to get traded? Like we're, we're nearing that point where it does feel like in the off season that trade happens, but with five weeks to go, it's really tough. It has to really address a major need sure. in order for that trade to happen. You just gotta know what the value is and what you ascribe the value. John, do you agree? Yeah, I, I think that's right. I think we're all pretty uh, close hold now on these prospects. I mean, I know I, know I am. And, and was I was thrilled to get Tristan Case Cassis. I don't know. I may be higher on him than others, but I, I was super psyched um, to get a really good bat um, in a limited fire sale. Um, but um, yeah, no, I think I think that's right. I don't know if we swung too far. I think I actually Becker. I don't know. I think you'd still keep Franco in that situation just because. Corbin Burns is a pitcher. I don't know. To me, you always go with the the, the, the hitter, especially with one so close to the to the majors. Um, but I hear what you're saying. Um, 
And um, yeah, I mean, I think the other interesting conversation, and I think you talked about this in a previous pod that I wasn't on, but Chris was talking about how we came up with these valuation for the picks, right? So 21 for a first, 14 for a second, seven for a third. Was it that, Chris? Um, and I think, numbers, yeah. Yeah. And I, I, I think this is an interesting one because I feel like clearly at the top of the draft, those picks are worth a ton, but then it, they, the value goes down substantially by the later first. And, and so it's like on average, maybe that's right. If you crunch the numbers, but you know, maybe we should, we should think differently about the distribution of all of that money. Um, and, and whether it's really worth it, um, later on as the picks go. So, um, the lottery picks are fun. I mean, it was funny. I was, you know, again, I had some damaged goods, but I was just trying to get thirds from people on like a pitcher like Zach Gallon, who in the preseason, if you had told someone they could have gotten Zach Gallon for like a third um, at the deadline, I think anyone would have taken that. And and certainly he's got some injury risk, but people weren't willing to. And, and I think some of it, many of them for good reason, but I think some of them just thought it was too much of a, too much of a price. And I actually don't, I don't agree. So um, maybe, maybe a different pitcher in the, you know, top 20 to 25 with less injury risk, um, you know, maybe it would have been more appealing, but I don't think a third is much to pay for someone like that. So, Sean, maybe we've talked, we've, we've talked about this. I think it, the value of picks is probably less than we've, we've put on it. Um, and, and you're right. It, at least in my mind, if it's not a top 10 pick, um, it, it basically just evens out. So the top 10 picks are worth what? 21, 20, 19, 18, 17, 16, 15. And then I'd say every other pick is worth five, <laughs> at least in, in my opinion. I, there are some right. cases where I'd rather have a third round pick than the 20, than the 15th pick in the first round. Right. I, I say that with all honesty, because sometimes you can feel boxed in by the orthodoxy of, of taking a certain guy at a certain kind of uh, level in the top 100, whether it's Baseball America or Fangraphs or whatever, it's like, if you don't pick that next guy down on the list, um, there might be some questions, but there, you are freer to take the guy, either the flyer uh, or someone you really, really dig in that third round or late second round. So yeah, I, I, I like those third round picks and it's also partly why I was, willing to give up a first rounder and a, and a second rounder and maybe a third rounder in this year's kind of trade deadline. And I thank well, you for it. I do. Well, I was also going to say, I, th- I think our, impl- our implied preferences were revealed in the preseason when we had that lottery for the, the single round, right? Yeah. Most of us didn't even bid any of our free money because we just felt like they were fungible picks. And this may have also been right. because people were so uncertain in this COVID year of like how to measure the, you know, which, which pick to, to take, which got to take given the lack of scouting or whatever it might be. But, uh, but I think that's telling, right. <laughs> I, I, I agree with that. Um, I know of another league, actually, I, I want to take a moment and just talk about this. It's a, a coworker of mine's in a league. It's the only one that I've ever seen that's been similar to what we do. Um, without it being dynasty and the way that they handle rookies is they actually auction um, and everybody gets a certain amount of money and there's a there's a, a minimum amount that rookies go for but they do an auction draft where you can come away with 10 guys um, you might get one 
like in the year that Moncada comes out and you want to spend your whole budget to make sure you get Moncada, then you can do that. Uh, but then you're going to miss out on all those, you know, uh, bargain basement $1 guys instead. Um, I think that the, the way that we do it with three rounds really does create a premium on the elite guys because there's only so many of them. Um, we don't, that's actually, I think one of the reasons why the wire ends up being still so valuable. And I, and I value that about our league and I wouldn't want to change it. Um, but I do think it creates this weird system. Um, I also want to just say that if you'd kept your toy uh, gallon in better condition, then you might've been able to sell it. Uh, but so true, so true. You, you threw that, that gallon against the wall a few too many times and the arm fell off. So, you know, nobody wants that doll anymore. Um. <laughs> so many annoying injuries this year. You really did have a rough year and it's happened to, it's happened to me and I know the feeling and it sucks. It, all the work, all the emotion. So I feel for you, buddy. Um, do we want to continue talking about this or should we, should we move on to the next segment? Let's move on. Let's move on. All right. I did like the conversation, boys. I'm just going to tell you that I, I liked it very much. Um, anyone willing to? Uh... Well, how about this? We've basically said we know the playoff teams. Uh, we've insinuated now that Jorby's coming back to the pack. He just went 1-11 this week against, against the box, which is a big, big hit to take. Sean, if you were to create a market, like, what is the likelihood that Jorby misses the playoffs at this point? Hmm. I, I have to look at the schedule for Anton and Jorvi. Um, I know I still play Brophy um, and I play the AIDS, although I was looking, I'm not that far from the AIDS in terms of Roto. So I don't, I'm not sure that's as hard a matchup as it would appear just based on the, the rankings, the Ian's and others. Um, but yeah, I don't, I don't think I have much of a chance. So I would say 90% Jorvi. I mean, nine games over four weeks is a lot of ground to make up. I don't know if Anton plays Jorvi. That would be the only way I would maybe bump that up, bump that down for Jorvi. If, if, cause Anton could, could clearly sweep him and that would be, that would be massive. No, they don't play. They don't play. Okay. Yeah. But I play Jorvi. So uh, if you Anton, Jorvi. Yes. yeah. So if I beat, if I beat Jorvi up pretty bad, um, that would be the, and, and Anton beats me up. I mean, Anton basically would need to beat me and have me beat Jorby, I think. Yeah. It's possible. So, yeah, maybe maybe 15% or 80, 85% Jorby. But you're, you're, you're not even putting yourself in the, in the conversation there. Well, I'll take a page from Mike Becker, even if I w- thought I were, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say it because that, would be, that would be a bad jinx. Got it. Okay. So then I think we can skip over the deaths. Um, yeah. Or nobody wants to pronounce any new deaths. I think it's pretty clear where we're all headed. Fair uh, enough. The, the question is order. Okay. Any trends that you want to point out? Well, gosh, I, I, star and I are in a really, really, really competitive race for that double buy. Um, we've been texting a little bit. We are currently tied at 126 wins, 66 losses. If you want to look at the the remaining schedule, I think his might be slightly more favorable. Uh, Chris, you and I are playing this week, so that's obviously a tough matchup for me. But that is a a vitally important um, race to the finish, especially, I think, because of how Dubner improved his team. So 
I, I think that between, between the, the final spot in the federal and then, you know, the top spot in the union, those are the two races to watch, I think. I think it's a fair point. What's your confidence level? And you, I mean, I asked you this last time, you said 50-50. Has that shifted at all? No, I don't think it's shifted at all. I, I'm, I'm very confident in my team, right? I, I like my team. I like where it's situated. I like where we're headed. Uh, I just, I, I, I don't have as good a handle on what Matt's team is doing, whether they will regress, whether they will improve. Um, I, I just know I'm very, very, very confident in how my team is structured, but he's also, he's got a terrific team himself. So I think it could be, it could turn into random stuff. Like for instance, I was playing Mark this past week and yesterday Nick Pavetta had six strikeouts and Mark beat me in K's by one strikeout, like 72 to 73 or something like that. I don't think I've lost K's all season. And yet he got me by one. And if that is, it, 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 I guarantee you, it's going to come down to like one win. I guarantee it. And it's probably going to be something silly like that, where I look back and be like, man, if I only I had pitched Nate Evaldi um, <laughs> against the Giants or whatever the hell it was, uh, and he could have tossed a minus 40 game score, but still had he, gotten one strikeout, I would have won. So it's gonna be something like that, I'm sure. I think Matt and I are really, really, really competitive and it's gonna come down probably to our matchup, I think the second to last week of the season. But he's got a great team, I'm confident in my boys and that's the one to watch as far as I'm concerned. Well, I wanna so beat you up this week, but I also kind of want you to beat Star. I don't mind saying that. Cause Star's no, had, I mean, Star's had yeah, a lot of success. Race, race to the finish line. I think this is, I know neither of us have, um, it's not like our playoff lines depend on it, but I'm curious to see how my team matches up against you. And I'm not going to say like, if I lose, I have no, no shot. And if you win or if I win, you know, I'm, I'm going to the finals. Like, but it, it's interesting, at least from my perspective to know kind of where, where my team stands in regard to teams that have also improved themselves. Yeah. That's because I've done a lot of beating up on um, teams that are not as competitive this year. So I really, this is a good matchup. I'm, it's one I'm looking forward to. What I always think of this time of year is this was many years ago, Chris, I, I don't know if you were in the league help me out if you remember, but one year uh, Matt star uh, referred to Jeff Dubner's team at the time, which is probably a few weeks left in the season, probably five weeks left as a tire fire or a dumpster fire, something like that. And then uh, I think Jeff, I think Dubner renamed his team, his team, like the tire fire of destiny. And he went on a, 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 an epic run. I don't remember how far he went. I don't think he actually won the whole thing that year, but it was, it was quite something. So I think we also just have to be very careful with whatever we say right now, sure. uh, because it will, it will come back to haunt us. That's, that's cool that you guys have a, a penultimate week matchup, you and Star. Um, I look forward to that. Yeah, another example of how LDB mirrors real life. You know, the, the schedule makers in MLB actually try to position divisional opponents against each other. Sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. But whoever made the schedule this year turned out well. 
So Jorvi, Jorvi is the one who came up with our format for the schedule. I do remember nice. that. Way to go, Jorvi. And uh, it's, I don't think it's perfect, but I think it's as good as we're going to get for, for what we have. Um, and I do love that, that your match is going to come right down to the wire like that. So that'll be, that'll be very fun. I also am going to encourage the two of you to come to some sort of podcast bet where one of you has to do something very silly uh, in the event that you lose the division. Um, you know, perhaps uh, sing a song or... Uh, Waffle House. Waffle House Challenge. Oh, the Waffle House Challenge. Yes, Sean, you are thinking big. I like it. Yes. <laughs> um, I'm already on record as saying I could probably put down 12 pancakes 12 waffles well you and i are uh we're the one who who talked big games and i think yeah we're gonna next well, time hey, we're look, you don't you don't have children neither you nor nor no. star have children so you can do the waffle house challenge why not i don't know what children have to do with it you know, you know what um yeah, competitive eating competition i'm priming for so in a few weeks uh, i am going to pickle fest in baltimore maryland and there is a a brine drinking challenge, mm. which I am very confident in, in my abilities to drink pickle brine. So I, I maybe we could do something like that. So so long as stars into drinking pickle brine, something I'm already um, practicing for anyway. So gross thing that I did in high school was uh, got in a challenge where I drank straight vinegar uh, in the same amount of the same quantity as a friend of mine drank soy sauce. Uh, not quite sure which one of those is the worst one to take down, but I, I would take vinegar every time there. That's, that's soy sauce just seems like too much. Um, so agree, agree. That's easy for me to say as the, uh, the brine drinking challenge guy. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, I think we should wrap up uh, unless either of you have any burning thoughts about the MLB or the league that we've missed. Um, otherwise, Nate, I'm inviting you formally right now, dude. Um, I, I know we got to get, uh, we got to get uh, Ian for next week just to talk about his rankings. I feel like that's a tradition. This was originally his podcast, but the one after that, we got to get Nate. So we're, we're on it. And Ryan, we need you too, but uh, uh, we'll, we'll get you eventually. So um, final burning thoughts. Or are we good? All good. Good. So for the fight to the finish. John, it's good to have you back. You better be back next week. Um, we need you. All right. We'll talk to everybody soon. Hi, everyone. Good night, LDB.